book of James. Back to the book of James. And again, we are looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Following up from last week, we began uh, with the first part of uh, this message, how to handle trials, how to handle trials. And I want to continue with this passage of Scripture today, praying that as we talk about trials and adversities and sufferings, that God would give you um, wisdom and understanding of his purposes for our trials and adversities and that we would allow him to use these trials uh, in our lives in order to benefit us spiritually. I'll begin by reading the passages of Scripture and then I'll pray. And read starting in verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Father, we thank you again for allowing us an opportunity to come into your presence. We thank you again for your word. We thank you again for your spirit. I pray, Lord, that as we are hearing your words, uh, that uh, the words that I speak will be uh, united with your spirit, and that it would live in the hearts and minds of those who hear. I ask, Lord, that you would um, help us because, as I said last week, all of us are either going through something, or coming out of something, or about to go through something. And we need your wisdom on how to handle the circumstances of our lives so that we can grow uh, from those circumstances and that we would not fall away from you. We ask now, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would touch us, and uh, that you would have your way in and through us as we hear your words. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> we began last week uh, looking just at verses 2 and 3, where James tells those who um, he's writing to that they should count it all joy when they fall into various trials. And the reason that they can treat these trials as joyful occasions is not because trials are necessarily good in themselves, but because God is working those trials for their good, if we were to bring in a Paul in Romans 8.28. He works all things for our good, and that includes the trials and adversities that we have in life. Remember I said last week that uh, this word for trials is also the word that we will meet in verse 12 for 
temptations. And so right now we're looking at uh, this word parasmos in an external way. The situations that happen outside of us in life that test who we are internally. He goes on to say that the reason that we can count it all joy when we fall into various trials is because the testing of our faith produces patience. <clears throat> trials and adversity and pain have a way of building our character in ways that, time, that times of prosperity cannot. I know that uh, all of us, not some of us or many of us, all of us, if we had our way, uh, we would choose to have life be as easy as possible. Okay. Uh, we would prefer life to be like water, seeking the path of least resistance. And the truth be told is if life was always easy, none of us would have a close relationship with God. Think about it. When everything is going well, when you have enough money in the bank to cover all of your bills, your car is not breaking down, your supervisor is not getting on your nerves, everything's going great with the wife and kids. <laughs> everything is great. Honestly, how much time do you spend praying? Just think about it for a minute. If we're honest, when everything is going great, we actually spend less time with God because we're out enjoying life. <laughs> okay, right? <laughs> but when there's hard times, when there's pain, we remember God. Trials, adversity, and pain have a way of building our character in ways that times of prosperity cannot. <coughs> However, contrary to popular opinion, merely enduring trials and waiting for God to fix it is not enough. We oftentimes think that because we're in the trial, that somehow that is making us better. But that is not the case. Anyone who knows me knows that I hate exercising. However, my doctor is telling me that if I do not bring down my cholesterol, right, she's going to put me on medication. So I have to change my diet and I have to change my exercise. And so this year, um, I went to the gym, right, went to Planet Fitness and got me a membership. I'm not going to tell you how often I uh, go because I don't. <laughs> but but uh, let's dream for a minute, okay? In Planet Fitness, they have all types of exercise equipment, right? They have free weights. They also have machine weights. They have weights to exercise every single muscle group in your body, okay? I've talked to several friends who exercise on a routine basis, and I have developed a plan to exercise every day of the week. So I go Monday through Friday. And every day of the week I go, 
And my plan is to exercise a different muscle group so that I can, you know, not only get my cholesterol down, but I can look good too. Okay. So I go to Planet Fitness. I spend an hour in Planet Fitness every time I go. For this hour, I stand around and talk to the people that's exercising. <laughs> All right. They're working out. And I'm talking. Okay. Okay. I, I even go and, and, and sit on the equipment. I take selfies on the equipment. I spend an hour in the gym five days a week. How long is it going to take me to look like Dwayne The Rock Johnson? The answer is it's never going to happen, right? It's never going to happen. Why? Because I'm in the gym, but I'm not doing what's necessary for it to benefit me. How does this relate to trials in the Christian life? I frequently have conversations with people that are going through various trials. And invariably, they all end up saying something that sounds very similar to this. Pastor, how long do I have to endure this situation before God fixes it? How much time do I have to endure this situation until God fixes it. And unbeknownst to them, um, what they have done is accepted a viewpoint of their trial that is going to almost guarantee that they do not benefit from this trial. They are in the trial like I was in the gym <laughs> in my illustration, right? but they aren't doing what is necessary in the trial for the trial to benefit them in any way. You see what, what I'm saying? They are in the trial, like I am in the gym in the above example, but they are not doing what is necessary to allow the trial to perfect their character. This statement betrays the fact that the person sees the trial as a nuisance to be endured rather than benef being beneficial to their spiritual walk. They are focused more on God removing their pain rather than God building their character using their pain. See, one of the things that happens when we are in the trial is that we are so focused on getting out of the trial that we miss what God wants to do with us in the trial. We miss the reason that God sent the trial in the first place. And because we miss the reason that God sent the trial in the first place, we keep being put back into the same trial over and over and over again. Because as I said last week, to God, 60 and above is not passing. Okay. James's viewpoint on trials is diametrically opposed 
uh, to this particular viewpoint. James does not see trials as something that is supposed to be endured until God removes it. James sees our trials as something that God sends in order to build our character. It is a gem in a sense because we are in this trial, like we're in the gym, and we are supposed to allow the trial to exercise us until we are stronger. He says that we can consider falling into various trials a joyful occasion, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. Patience here refers to man's endurance when faced with the adversities of life. Patience means man's endurance when he faces the adversities of life. It denotes an inward feeling as well as our outward conduct. It originally me meant to remain behind, to await, but later it acquired uh, the, the definition of, of, in a more active sense, of how we overcome difficulties. So it means to persevere, to stand firm, to stand your ground. And when uh, they translated uh, the Old Testament into, the new, into Greek, the Old Testament words that this Greek word represents also means hope and expectation. James, recognizing God's purpose in trial, sees them as God's means to cause us to stand firm in faith regardless of our circumstances and to not run away from him while we wait with hope and expectation that he will do what he has promised. I'll say that again. James, recognizing God's purpose in trials, sees them as God's means to cause us to stand firm in faith, regardless of our circumstances, and to not run away from him while we wait with hope and expectation that he will do what he has promised. That's the purpose of trials. The purpose of a trial is to cause us not to run away from God, but even when we're going through tough times, we will stand firm, we will trust him, we will hope in him, and we will expect him to do exactly what he said he will do, no matter how long it takes for him to do it. The question is, how does this look in real life? Now, I have done counseling um, full-time probably, um, as far as ministry is concerned, since uh, 2006. And I have talked to a, a lot of couples. I've probably heard almost everything, right? Uh, when I was thinking about this, I thought about a couple that I I'm counseled a while ago, and the wife actually called and asked, could we um, have counseling? So both of them, uh, they came and met with me, and the issue that the wife needed to address was every single time there was a conflict, the husband would immediately 
just leave the house. Conflict would happen. After they exchange a few words, boom, he leaves out the house, gone for a couple hours. And this was leaving the wife to feel that she was all alone, not only in uh, needing to address the conflict that they were having, but also in managing her feelings of feeling abandoned, right? <clears throat> now, talking to the, to the husband, one of the things that um, I was able to help him to see was the reason that he would leave every single time there was a conflict was because his father spent most of his time in the basement hiding out from his mother. And he just said, I don't want to live in the basement. So he just leaves. <laughs> okay. He doesn't realize that he's still running, right? He just thinks that he's just leaving the circumstance to let things cool off. But he is still running from the circumstance. One of the things that, like I said, I had to help him to uh, understand <clears throat> was that conflict is not just a, um, a way of addressing problems. The conflict that he's having between his wife is also an opportunity for him to look at himself to see how he handles relational conflict and to address his poor coping mechanisms. He thinks that the way to get out of something is to just, you know, say something, Oh, honey, you didn't put the trash out. Well, you ain't do this. And then, so now it's like, you know, you put it on her. That way she can't look at you, and then you run out the door. Okay. That is poor coping mechanism skills. That's poor relational skills. Okay. That's often what most men do. All right. I ain't going to lie. I'm guilty of that. All right. All right. It's like, you pass the hot potato to me, I'm going to pass it back, and I'm going to step out the way. <laughs> That's usually what, that is usually the extent of our relational skills, okay? Because, again, we want to be like water and follow the path of least resistance, okay? This may not sound <clears throat> as if it relates to you, right? But if we just change the scenario just a little bit, every single one of us will fall into this category, right? You may not be the person that, that runs when it comes to conflict in a dating relationship, but the question for all of us would be maybe something like this. How many of us have left a job because of conflict? How many of us have left a relationship? Maybe not a dating relationship, but you may have had a friend that you've grown up with. And there's a conflict, and so the best thing and the easiest thing to do is to just walk away. How many of us have left a ministry or a church due to some form of conflict? Right? Some people just serial church hoppers. It's like, they're in a church. Oh, they got on my nerves. I'm going to go to the next one. Oh, they got on my nerves. Go to the next one. No patience, no endurance, no ability to stand firm, even though, I'm like, what's going on out there? 
No ability to stand firm <laughs> in times of trial. How many of us avoid conflicts because they don't want to say how they really feel because they don't want to have the difficult con um, conversation that's needed? Is that you? Is some, does someone say, uh, what do you think about this? And then you lie or say nothing because you don't want to tell people how you really feel. The truth is that all of these ways of dealing with conflict is just a different way of running, whereas God wants us to learn how to deal with adversity by standing our ground while cheerfully and hopefully waiting on him. Trials are the gem that develops an inward fortitude that produces outward peace and endurance. What I'm trying to get us to see <clears throat> in, in this passage of scripture is all of us, as I said last week, have in some way failed to develop 100% um, the way we should, whether it's socially, mentally, emotionally, in the way we make choices, in the way we respond to conflict. And, and what God is trying to do in allowing us to go through trials and adversity is he is trying to, to pick at that particular area so that we can recognize our deficiencies, learn from it, and become better by experiencing these trials. But oftentimes what we do is we are so focused on getting out of the trial that we don't slow down and pause to see what is going on inside of us so that God can do his perfect work. We think that just because we're in the trial that somehow things will be different when we emerge from the trial. But, but it's not automatic. We don't automatically grow or change or get stronger or get better just because we experience conflict. Just like my illustration before, I can't just be in the gym. I have to actually do something in order for the gym to benefit me. You cannot just go through trials and conflict. You have to do something in your trial and conflict in order for it to benefit you. And James tells us exactly what that is. He says in verse 4, he says, but let patience have its perfect way. You have to let patience have its perfect work. You can be in the trial and you can be fighting God. You can be experiencing conflict and you can be fighting someone else and you will go through that. And if you are not allowing God to use the trial in your life, it will benefit you nothing. Some of us have spiritually repeated the 12th grade for decades. 
Some of us are still working on our spiritual GED. And we are 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. <laughs> we are going through the same trials and circumstances that we were going through 30 years ago. And we have no idea why we're still going through it or how to get out of it. That is because, bless you, we are not allowing patience to have its perfect work in us. We have to allow patience to work in us by letting the trial do what it was sent to do. This is actually one of the most difficult things in the world to let patience have its perfect work for three reasons. Three reasons why we do not allow patience to have its perfect work. And once I give you these three reasons, you're going to think that I'm so brilliant. <laughs> because this is absolutely true. <laughs> Write these three things down. These th are the three reasons why we do not allow our trials and adversity to make us better. Number one, we are not, allow um, um, we are not able to see ourselves. The first reason we do not allow our trials and adversities to make us better is because we are not able to see ourselves. Number two, the second reason that we are not able to allow adversity to transform us and change us is because we are not able to admit that we have deficiencies in our lives that needs to be addressed. And number three, we are not humble enough to allow God to defend us and to keep working on us rather than trying to defend ourselves from those who hurt us. Third, all three of them? All three, all three. Number one, we do not allow trials to have their perfect work because we are not able to see ourselves. It's always the other person. Number two, we are not able to allow um, patients to have his perfect work because we are not able to admit that we have deficiencies in our lives that needs to be addressed. And number three, we are not able to let patients have his perfect work because we are not humble enough to allow God to defend us and to keep working on us rather than trying to defend ourselves from the one who hurt us. We are not humble enough <laughs> to allow God to defend us and to keep working on us rather than trying to defend ourselves from the one who hurt us. Now, isn't that true of all of us? We, we can't see ourselves. We won't admit that we have deficiencies that needs to be addressed. 
And rather than allowing God to defend us, the first thing we think is, who are they talking to? Y'all ain't no punk. I ain't going out like that. <laughs> right? right? No, I'm not waiting on God to defend me. I'm going to defend myself. Right? And then I'm, I need God to be my backup. <laughs> the question for each of us is this. Do I really see myself for who I really am? Do, do you really see yourself for who you really are? As Beyonce would say, flaws and all. Do, are we able to, and we'll see this in a, uh, a couple, a couple um, chapters in James, are we able to look into the perfect law of liberty, right, look into God's word, and agree with God that we are who he says we are? The answer really is no. The answer is no because I can say we have, I have intentionally, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm annoying. On purpose. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I give her a pass today. All right. You know, it, it, it's kind of like when I, when, when I'm in church or cell group or Bible study and I, and I meet a sticking point that people get stuck, stuck on, they trip over. Most pastors just be like, oh, let's go on, let's pass on, get on past that. Don't want nobody upset. And I'm like, oh, they don't like this, huh? <laughs> All right. And so I just get out my little pick, <laughs> poke around, poke around. Listen, let me see how, see how long it'll take me to deal with this issue. One of these issues that we have been, been, been going back and forth with, with various people is, is total depravity. Literally, every time I talk about total depravity, right, somebody comes to me and say, Pastor, I don't agree with that. We're, we're, not, that, we're not bad. We're not that bad. <laughs> and uh, are, we, are we able to admit that we are who God says we are? When we're in trials, we oftentimes just react to the circumstance that has, has presented itself to us without any real reflection. Instead of reacting when we go through trials, what we need to do is stop for a moment. We need to pause and we need to think about what's going on. We need to ask ourselves some questions. Some of the questions that we need to ask ourselves, I'll run through them quickly. You can... Just think through who, what, when, where, why, and how, all right? And you can come up with your own questions. But ask yourself, why does this circumstance bother me? Why does it bother me that someone sat in my seat in church? <laughs> well, why does this circumstance bother me? Why, why does it bother me that someone cut me off in traffic on a street I don't own? Okay. That's the question I usually ask myself, right? <laughs> okay. Ask yourself, why am I not able to just ignore this? Why does it bother me so much that I feel I need to address it? What is it about this person or this circumstance that rubs me the wrong way? Everybody else is ignoring it. 
Why can't you ignore it? Okay. How did it make me feel when they said or did something to me? It's usually that's the issue. Last question, is it possible that both of us are right, but just seeing the situation from a different perspective? Why does the other person always have to be wrong? Why can't both of us be right? We just see it from a different perspective. This is something that, um, that I try to help every single couple that comes to me for uh, marriage counseling that's having conflict. I always tell them, they're like, well, tell them they're wrong. And I'm like, and what I've learned over the years is that oftentimes when couples come to me for, for, um, for counseling, honestly, nobody's wrong. It's just a matter of perspective. We're seeing things from different perspectives. The problem is that we feel that we are competing with one another rather than being allies. Rather than seeing that we're supposed to complement one another we feel that we are going to compete with one another, and my viewpoint has to win. Why can't we both win? Why we just can't learn to compromise? Right. If we stop and reflect on these questions, what we will learn is that the trial, although it is external to us, it is meant to deal with things that are taking place inside of us. We all have hidden fears and anxieties. We all too often wear our hearts on our sleeve or are too thin-skinned. Sometimes we are too selfish to care about someone else's opinions or needs. In some way, we all have developed poor um, coping mechanisms. All of us have been hurt deeply but in different ways, and we are constantly on guard to protect ourselves from future pain. Some of us are just lazy I'll say that again. Some of us are just lazy and don't want to go through the pain of growth. Some of us have learned that being nasty is the way to get what we want. Some of us have learned that playing the victim and being manipulative is the way to get what we want. And some of us have been disappointed so much in life that we have lost even the ability to hope and dream. All of us have flaws and deficiencies in our lives. Your flaws are not my flaws, and my flaws, flaws are not your flaws, but all of us have flaws. You see, I think the problem when it comes to church is that we come to church, and we think that the purpose of church is to pretend that we have it together. But as long as we're wearing the mask, God cannot change us. The purpose of the trials is to teach us to take off the mask. This list and reasons will be different for each person, but the truth is the same. We all have deficiencies hidden beneath the surface of our well-crafted public personas. <laughs> all of us have a public persona. Right? All of us want everyone to think of us in a certain way. I want you all to think of me as the intelligent, wise, and patient pastor. The truth is, <laughs> I am not a patient person. I'm just not. 
I'm not. I pretend, you know, because I stayed at a Holiday Inn last night. So no, <laughs> you know, I'm not a patient person, but I stayed in a Holiday Inn last night. Y'all know that commercial. <laughs> All right. Y'all got to watch TV more. So now I'm just like, <laughs> look. We, we, we all wear a mask in some way, right? All of us, right? All of us want to, we have crafted this, this picture, this image of ourselves so that people can think of us in a way, right, that we want to project onto the world. But the truth is, underneath all of that, we're all fearful of something. We all have anxieties. We're all dealing with some issue that we would rather not be dealing with. But God does not look on the outside, right? God is looking at our hearts. He sees all of the warts. He sees all of the stuff you got hidden in the closet that other people don't see when they come to the house. He sees all of that. And God loves us too much to just deal with the externals. So what God does is that he crafts these trials and he tailor makes these circumstances that will fit every single one of us so that when we do what we're supposed to do in the trial, it will heal all of our wounds and it will fix all of our deficiencies. But we have to let patience have its perfect work. Now, I'm going to give you three reasons why we do not allow patience to have its perfect work. Okay. Those three reasons, I'm just going to restate them in a different way. Same three reasons, just going to state them in a different way. You know, that's the way you help people out. Repetition, repetition, repetition. But I can't keep saying the same thing because they're like, did he really prepare? So, no. <laughs> so I'm going to give you three things just, to say, just a little differently. Number one, we don't like God's method. We don't like the method that God has chosen. We want things to be easy. We say, well, if I were God, I wouldn't have done this. <laughs> right? <laughs> if I were God, I would have just snap my fingers and everything would be perfect and, and I would just love God and, and just be the best, have my best life now. Okay. We don't like God's method. God's method is to allow us to suffer before we enter our glory. Number two, not only we do, not, do we not like God's method, is that we oftentimes don't like the messenger. Have you ever noticed <laughs> that God has a way to send that person? You know what I mean? God, I need patience. And then that person walks through the door like, no, nah, God, not today. N not today. Not, not that person, Lord. <laughs> right? Someone comes and, 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 and they may bring the trial. They may say something. They may say it in a way that we don't like. And, and the first thing that goes through my mind, I remember when you were doing such and such. We focus on the deficiencies and flaws in that person's life. Oh, well, you can't talk to me about my sin because 
you struggle with this too. Oh, okay. We're not talking about me right now, though. <laughs> I was like, okay, right. We don't like God's method. Oftentimes, we don't like the messenger. Right? The truth is, it don't matter who God sends. Right? He can send an angel from heaven and say, you need to stop. And we'll find a reason not to listen to the angel. We don't like the method. We don't like the messenger. And number three, we spend too much time trying to protect or defend ourselves. We end up just like Jacob wrestling with God, but thinking we are fighting someone else. What happens when we are trying to protect and defend ourselves in these trials is we think that we're attacking the trial. We think that we're attacking the person who brought the trial. Sometimes we even think we're attacking the devil, right? You can't take my joy, joy devil, right? Satan is not going to have his way. I bind you, Satan. Right? And God is just probably sitting back, like he's just having a ball. <laughs> having a ball. Just waiting for us to recognize that this ain't got nothing to do with the devil. This ain't got nothing to do with the person who brought the trial or the situation. This is only about you. And you will find yourself at the end of this realizing, just like Jacob, that I'm fighting with God. That God is the one that is fighting with me. God is the one that I'm wrestling with because what he's trying to do is take our deficiencies and take the pain in our lives. But we want to protect ourselves so we won't even give it to God. I had a friend of mine who would go through the same circumstance over and over and over again, year after year after year. And one day I just sat down when I was talking to this person. I said, do you recognize that, you know, every single time this happens, you respond this way, and then things get worse? And, and um, I said, if you do it differently, just do it this way, things would change automatically. And the person was, was very honest, like, I can't do that because it hurts too much. And I said this to this person, that was probably 10 years ago, and the person is still dealing with the same thing. I said, until the pain of letting go is less than the, than the pain that you're currently going through, until you recognize that, you're going to stay in the situation. You're hurting regardless. But this is a familiar pain. God is trying to take me into a pain that's not familiar. I don't understand. I don't know what that's going to be like. And so we hold on to the familiar pain because we think that the familiar pain is less than the unknown pain. We spend too much time trying to protect ourselves and defend ourselves. We think that we are protecting ourselves from people when actually we are protecting ourselves from God. James says that we should count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience, but only if we allow patience to have its perfect work. 
when we allow patients to have his perfect work, regardless of the method, regardless of the messenger, regardless of whatever pain that we're going through, James tells us that there are three things that will result in our lives. And these are the three things that we need from every single trial. This is what every single trial is trying to produce in your life. This is what you want. You just don't want to go through the pain of getting it. James goes on to say, he says that when patience have, has its perfect work, you will be what? Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. That is the result. That is what God is trying to work in your life. He wants you to be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. In essence, God is trying to help all of us to become internally and externally whole. The word, this word perfect, I get these things just by looking at the definition of these, of these words, right? The word perfect means to be whole. It means to be undivided. It means to have consummate human integrity. It means to be a full-grown adult. It means to be fully developed in the moral sense. Now, let me ask you this question. What is the difference between an adult and a teenager? Other than age? Okay, responsibility, wisdom, growth, experience, change of hormones, okay. <laughs> well, let me say what is supposed to be the difference <laughs> between an adult and a teenager. Isn't the difference that in an adult, their mind, will, and emotions are supposed to be whole and complete and undivided, whereas in teenagers and children, their hearts and minds and wills are all over the place so that they're making poor decisions. They want to do what's right. They desire to do what's right, but because they have not developed to the place of, of learning how to get what they want, they make stupid decisions. They want to do what, what's right, but their emotions are all over the place. How do I look? You think people, what, what do people want to think about this? Snap, selfie, pictures, uh, uh, uh. Oh, don't, oh, I got to delete that, man. The, ah, I didn't smile the right way. Uh. <laughs> right. Always, emotions all over the place. But in an adult, your mind, will, and emotions are supposed to be whole. They're supposed to have integrity, right? Because that's what the, where the word, where the word integrity comes from. In, in, integrated, they work together. So that when I think something, right, my mind and my emotions are in sync so that I can make decisions and I know that when I make that decision, I'm making the right decision and I can stand on it versus, oh, 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 oh what should I do? Oh, well, I know I, I did say this, but uh, now I'm gonna change my mind. Oh, well, I really didn't want to go, but they asked me and I couldn't say no, so I lied. And then they called me, but I don't answer my phone because I really didn't want to go in the first place. 
An adult is supposed to say, I don't feel like going. I don't want to go. I don't like that. What do you want to eat today? Uh, I, if I tell them I want to eat this and they don't like it, I'm going to feel bad. Uh, I want to eat here. Well, I don't want to eat there. Okay, well, you go get what you want, and I'm going to go eat what I want. I'm not going to eat what you want if I don't like that. But too many of us as an adult, I'm using it as an example. Someone actually did call me about that. Like, well, you know, I just don't like telling people where I want to eat because, you know, I don't want them to be mad if it's not where they want to eat. I'm like, and you like 30? <laughs> Let them go down the food court and get their food. You go over there and get your food. And then y'all sit together and eat what you like. Right? Why are you eating food that you don't like? It's because as even as adults, we are not whole. Sister so-and-so, can you do this particular ministry for me? Pastor, no, I don't like doing this ministry. Why do you keep asking me to do this ministry? Sure, Pastor. <laughs> Pastor, I don't like doing that. Is there something else that you would, I can do? Sure, we'll find something else for you to do. See, that's what adults do. Adults are in touch with their feelings, and they know how to stand on their feet and say what they think and feel, and they don't care if you like it or not. I love you, but I'm going to tell you what I think and feel. And at the end of the day, we can have our come-to-Jesus moment, and, and we'll move on. But we're all, we aren't all over the place. But guess what God does in order to help you get to that place? He keeps sending you trials. Pastor's going to keep saying, sister so-and-so, you want to do this? <laughs> Your supervisor's going to keep saying, you know what? Laurie is not doing his work. Can you do his work for him? And our moms be like, no, but they be like, all right, just give it to me. Like, I hate this job, man. They get on my nerves. Keep giving me all this extra work. No, just say, you know, I get paid the same thing they get paid. You know, is there a reason why I'm doing all of that work and they and they are still being paid? Is it possible if I do that work that I get a promotion? Can I get a can I get a raise? Can I get something? They can say no, but I'm still gonna let you know. I I'm tired of doing so and so work. <laughs> The way that God works on us to grow us up is by repeatedly putting us in trials. And God will always put us in the trials that we hate the most. In other words, trials have a way of making us grow up. Regardless of the age we are when we come to Christ, we all start off as spiritual babies needing maturity. And this is in addition to all of the other deficiencies that we have socially, mentally, emotionally, in our choices, right? We all have to grow up. And these trials are designed to perfect us in the sense that we become fully whole and developed morally, this is an external focus. It deals with our outward conduct. When, when James says that God is trying to make us perfect, he's talking about how we respond, our behavior while we're in the trial. You know, when someone steps on your feet and you cuss at them, 
And he'd be like, oh, excuse me. You know what? That, that is, I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> I know where it came from. <laughs> when someone is driving down the street and they, they cut you off, and, you know, you show them a couple, you know, not a couple fingers, just one in particular, <laughs> you know. And then you got the little bumper sticker, invite, come to the upper room. <laughs> God is trying to perfect you. He is trying to work on your behavior so that while you're going through the circumstance, you learn how to act anyway. I don't like the circumstance I'm in, God, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act the right way. I'm going to conform to the standard that you have called me to. As Paul says, I'm going to walk worthy of my calling, even if it hurts. Trials give us an opportunity to develop godly behavior. That's the purpose of your trial. God wants us to, to prove, right, because we're going to stay on, on point with, with my definition of faith, right? Faith is how we prove God is transforming us and developing us. So when we're in trials, the trial is supposed to show us who we really are. And if we continue to respond in a particular way, in a particular trial, we know that God is targeting that behavior because he wants that behavior to be conformed to the image of his son. Number two, not only does he say we become perfect, perfect, he says we become complete. Complete means to be complete in every part, in no part wanting or unsound, the word unsound meaning to be unhealthy. It means to be complete, entire, whole, ethically free from sin. Ethically free from sin. This completeness has an internal focus. From this aspect, God uses trials to make us complete and healthy. That's what sound means. To in our mind, our will, and our emotions. What God is doing by sending us trials when he's trying to make us complete, he's trying to strip us of the way, the sinful habits of our minds. When God is sending these trials for us, he wants to strip us of our sinful habits of our emotions. He's trying to strip from us the sinful choices we keep making in these circumstances. He does all of that in trials. He's trying to deal with all of the hurt and the pain and the baggage that we have accumulated over the months and years and decades of our lives. And he cannot do that with good, you know, by just sending you good things. That's why sandpaper is rough. But after you use sandpaper on drywall, the drywall itself becomes smooth. See, sometimes God has to use tough situations to smooth out the difficult places in our lives. God uses trials not only to strip us of our sinful habits of our mind, will, and emotions. He also uses them to strip us of our wrong viewpoints concerning him and the world. Now, think about this. We'll see this when we get to the book of Job. Now, Job 
was a man who was upright and righteous, right? But his friends had a viewpoint of God that he was a tit-for-tat God. Job, you had to do something wrong. If you were doing all of the right things, God will be sending so many blessings in your life. You've had to sin. No, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't sin. I'm, I, I did everything right. And all of these things are happening. You can't. God is not a God that will send trials in your life if you're doing everything right. God only sends trials to people who are doing something wrong, Job. And back and forth, back and forth for 40 chapters. <laughs> right. Then when you get to around chapter 39 or 40, God shows up. And what does God do? God corrects the misunderstanding of Job's friends. He corrects Job because Job started off strong. Nope, I didn't do anything wrong. God is righteous. God is good. And then in talking to his friends, he's like, you know what? God is mistreating me. I, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I want to question God, and I want to ask him for answers. And if he kills me, I'm still trusting him, but I'm asking him these questions. <laughs> and so God shows up, and God shows up and puts Job to the test so that he can correct Job and his friends' misunderstandings of him and how the world operates. Ultimately, as Job says here, I mean, it's, it's Job. As James says, God wants us to lack nothing. He wants us, as the word means, to be destitute of nothing, to lack nothing, to fall short of nothing, to be in need or want of nothing. Trials are designed to ensure that you lack nothing spiritually, socially, mentally, emotionally, and in your choices. God uses trials to bring us to full-grown maturity in Christ— capable of handling everything that life throws at us. That's the purpose of your trial. God wants you to grow up. He wants you to experience all that he has in life for you. But we live in a fallen world. And as I said last week, my seminary professor said that we live in a fallen world and often it falls on us. And every time the world falls on us, he doesn't want us to fall apart. And so what does he do? He sends us trials. He sends us adversities. Paul says, there is no temptation that has taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who with the temptation will make a way of escape. He, he's sending you trials, but he's not going to, well, you know, as someone said, God will not put on you more than you can bear. That's a lie. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I'm about, I was about to mess up and like, God will not put on, that ain't true. That is not true. Me and God had to compare notes. Hey, God, you say I can't handle this. You say I can handle it. I can't handle this. All <laughs> right. Right. That is not true. God will put more on you than you can handle so that he can teach you that his grace is sufficient for you. How do you handle trials? 
How do you handle the Let me tell you. Today is Sunday. Okay. Let, let's, just, let's just pretend that God is, takes off on Sundays. You're not going to have any trials today. You're going to go home. Things are going to be great. There's going to be no arguments with your wife or husband. There's gonna, the kids are going to be perfect. What would you like, Mom? What would you like, Daddy? Everything is going to, everything is going to be great for the rest of the day. When you wake up tomorrow, though, Somebody's car is not going to start. Your car is going to start, but the check engine light is going to be on. You're going you're to you're be driving and get a flat. <laughs> you're you're going to, after all of that, you're going to get into work and, 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 and realize that you left something at home that you needed for work. That one of your, somebody's going to have taken something off of your desk, and then you're like, oh, I ain't touch it, I ain't touch it. Somebody took something. It's not on my desk. Right. There's going to be some form of conflict. How are you going to handle it? What we need to do is every time we experience one of these conflicts, we need to stop and think, why is this bothering me? What is it about, what is, what is is it that I feel hurt or disrespectful? Or as men, we only are mad. I was mad. That made me mad. Well, did I hurt your feelings? Yo, you can't hurt my feelings. I mean, I told Janita that one time. She's like, she's like, did I hurt your feelings? Girl, you can't hurt my feelings. I'm just, I'm just mad. <laughs> and they'd be like, dang, why she say it like that? <laughs> right? You know, we as men are, we think that women are emotional. We are emotional. We are emotional, right? It's like, well, you, you should, you, don't talk to me like that. But it's the truth. Yeah, but, you know, you should say it differently when you go. You show me respect. All <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> but why did you take something as disrespectful that wasn't meant to be disrespectful? I wasn't, I wasn't trying to hurt your feelings. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. I was just bringing it to your attention that, you know, if you, know, if you don't put the trash out, eventually we're going to have mice. <laughs> that, you know? <laughs> that, that, that's all. I, I, I just don't want creatures running around the house. That's all, you know? No disrespect. <laughs> No disrespect. I just, you know, I just want to make, just don't want treats on the countertop. That's all. Well, why do we take the, when someone says something to you, why, why are you upset? When someone cuts you off in traffic, who cares? They're going to be stuck at the traffic light right along with you. You're going to just be behind them instead of in front of them. What difference does it make? When I'm facing conflict and trials, why does that bother me? Why can't I let it go? And when we start asking the questions about what's going on inside of us, honestly, what we'll realize is that it has absolutely nothing to do with the other person and everything to do with me. 
And the truth is, unless I deal with myself, I'll never be able to deal with the situation properly. Because what I'll end up doing is constantly putting on, you need to change, you need to fix it, you need to do that. And thinking that it's all the other person, when the truth is, it's me too. I'm going to stop right here. Next week I'll finish this up completely. Um, finish up the rest of the verses, starting at verse 5 down to verse 8. Because there is one thing that we all need um, in times of trials and adversity. We think that we need peace. <laughs> right. I, just, I just need peace. I just need a break. I just need a moment. <laughs> yeah. But there really is only one thing that we need in times of trials and adversity. And that one thing is wisdom. We'll, we'll come back next week and we'll look at this one thing that God is desiring to pour out on us when we go through trials so that we can know how to handle the trial and how to emerge from the trial in a better way. Father, we thank you today for allowing us this time and opportunity to come again to, to hear your word. Lord, adversity is something that we will all face every single day of our lives. There's some form of conflict or trial or adversity, whether it's big or small, that each one of us will face. And Lord, our spiritual maturity hinges on how we handle those trials. Lord, I want to be the first one in here to confess that I do not handle trials well. Too often I murmur and complain. Too often I'm looking for the exit on or when this trial will be over. And oftentimes I'm missing the lessons that you're trying to teach me all because I'm more concerned about my comfort and my peace. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to work inside of each of us, Lord. Help us to see what you're trying to do in our lives to sanctify us and make us more like Jesus. Help us to see that the trials and adversity of life are not designed to take us out but they're designed to make us better. They're designed to strip us of all the things that we desire and love in the world. They're designed to strip us of all of our dependence on ourselves so that we can depend solely on you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to exercise godly wisdom so that when trials come, we can examine ourselves and, and see the part that we play. And then that we would have godly wisdom on how to navigate the trial until you decide that it's time to be over. So that we can emerge from the trials perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in us. You said that you're going to work until the day that you come for us. And I pray, Lord, that we would cooperate with you so that when you come, you won't have much to change. We thank you now.
In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.